This is the Ty Butler Show on 98.7 ESPN. It is the Ty Butler Show. 98.7 ESPN. We are going up until 6 o'clock tonight. We're at that time. You'll have Yankees-Mets game two of this doubleheader pregame beginning at that time with Mark Kestesher, followed by first pitch at 7.05 with John Chiambi and Chris Singleton. But until then, it's you and I. You can hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at Ty D. Butler, Ty D. Butler. And you can, of course, join the conversation via the telephone at 800-919-3776, 1-800-919-3776. About 40 minutes from now, my guy Justin Termini from SiriusXM NBA Radio will join us. we got to talk some hoops, you know. I was into that game last night. The NBA Finals are set, so we'll talk uh, Bucks and Suns. We'll, we'll look at these reports that are surfacing now that somehow, some way, CP3 could be interested in coming to New York to join the Knicks. So we'll talk about that as well. We've got a whole a whole lot to get to on the NBA front, but of course, where we have to start is with the baseball, a game that is currently in progress right now. The Yankees and the Mets at the stadium, top of the third inning. The Yankees up 3-1. to one. Garrett Cole in a little bit of some trouble right now. First and third, one man out with Dom Smith, who, who actually went yard in the first inning off of Cole. So I'll keep you posted on that game. But I just mentioned the Yankees are winning, so you prepare to start the show by destroying them because of what we've seen happen over the last, I don't know, 81 games, but they have a lead. But trust me, that that's not going to spare them from any of this smoke I'm about to give to them. This team this year came into the season with the best odds to get to the World Series. The conversation was not about July 4th, Cole versus Stroman at Yankee Stadium Subway Series. It was about how does this team match up against the L.A. Dodgers. The Yankees, full strength, full season, Cole in the second year, fully healthy, let's go. The Astros, the Rays, the White Sox, you know, a a lot of expectations for those teams, but the Yankees clearly superior to them. But all of a sudden, we find ourselves today looking at a team with a $200 million payroll one game above 500. Yesterday, Yankees Mets, after getting rained out on Friday night, that's two straight rainouts. That was what, three nights to recover from what was the worst loss of the season. That Angels game. It, it was the first time I came across this stat, which is pretty interesting. It was the first time. Since 2000, that the Yankees blew a four-plus run lead in the ninth inning to lose a game. So there's your argument right there for it being the single worst loss, given the circumstances, in 21 years. So you follow that with two rainouts, which means you get three nights to sleep on. If you get Hal, you know, Hal Steinbrenner, he's got a press conference. Aaron Judge holds a a players-only meeting. And that's how you show up to the game yesterday. You lose 8-3 to three to one of the worst, not one of, the worst offensive team in baseball. 8-3. to three. They looked flat. It, they looked lethargic. And it's words that you, you use when a team is in the midst of a losing streak because it's apropos. But 
you watch the Yankees, and for years it was they're down 5-1, but they definitely can put together a few hits, hit the home run, they're right back in it. Crowd gets into it, Yankee Stadium erupts. Yankees go down 2-0, you're like, this game is over. When Jordan Montgomery in that fifth inning yesterday gave up a couple of runs, I'm like, yeah, this is over. They're not coming back. Through five, there were no hits. It's, it's embarrassing to have this high of a payroll, to be this bad, and to look everywhere on the team and see they really don't have a singular strength. We thought it would be the offense because you get Aaron Judge, who consistently, when he's healthy, is an MVP candidate. DJ LeMahieu, one of the best hitters in baseball. Stanton, power hitter, Torres. You go up and down the lineup, it is riddled with stars. And then you look and you say, wait, they're one of the worst hitting teams in the league. Not two weeks into the season, not a month into the season, halfway through, they are one of the worst offensive teams in the league. Defensively, they're a mess. Guys are playing out of position. Glaber Torres is not a shortstop. And Duhar's not a left fielder. And on great teams, yeah, sometimes you have those guys where you slot them places and your your team is good enough to overcome it. But when you have multiple guys out of position and you've got a 37-year-old Brett Gardner playing center field, the defense is obviously going to be compromised. Urshela is fantastic. That's pretty much it. You look all around the de- judge in right field. He, you know, he's a gold glove caliber player. But for the most part, they don't run the base as well. They don't play defense. They can't hit with runners in scoring position. Outside of Garrett Cole, who do you trust in that rotation? And now all of a sudden, Chapman looks like he's never thrown a baseball. So it's frustrating to watch this team, even right now, up 3-1 in the top of the third against the Mets. It's still frustrating to watch them go from where we thought they would be to where they are now. Expected to win the pennant. You look at 538 today. They give the Yankees a 29% chance to make the playoffs. A team that was expected to win about 98, 99 games. The last two full seasons had won 100-plus games. They now, on July 4th, have a 29% chance to make the playoffs. A 3% chance to win the title. The New York Yankees with Garrett Cole, Aaron Judge, Gleyber Torres, Gary Sanchez, Stanton, LeMahieu. Cole strikes out Alonzo to end the threat in the third inning. So the Yankees go to the bottom of the third, up 3-1. But this team, a 29% chance to make the playoffs. That's embarrassing. That is all kinds of embarrassing. And then we have to listen to all of the, the players and then the, the Boone, God help him. I actually feel bad for him because it's part of his job is to go up there and pretend like, you know, the, the sun is going to shine tomorrow. The birds are still chirping. Everything's going to be fine. The team's going to find a way to correct those mistakes. Dude, we're, uh, we're halfway through the season. You are what your record says you are as the great Bill Parcells once said. 
look, the only reason why today I'm not going to come on and say they're done is out of pride. Because as much as I root for the Yankees, I, I feel like above that is I root for my own takes. So back on April 14th, the Yankees, they lost a game to the Blue Jays, I believe it was. And, and they were in the midst of, of, of a, a poor stretch. And I tweeted out immediately and I pinned it to my Twitter, at Ty D. Butler. I don't care what happens from now until the end of the regular season. The Yankees are winning the World Series. That was April 14th. So today I can't come and say they're done. They're, I got I to gotta allow my tweet to have a chance to manifest itself. My, my prediction, because it's not dead in the water, as I mentioned, 538, 29% chance to make the playoffs, 3% chance to, to win the title. Not ideal, but you still have it, have an opportunity. So that's the only reason why. And because I'm a Yankee fan, so of course there is a hint of bias there. That's, those are the only reasons why I, I'm going to say they still have some type of a run in them. But that's it. Because if you examine this situation objectively, what is there to feel good about? What I, I would love for you to call up right now, 800-919-3776. Make the argument that the Yankees right now, what you're watching, have the ability to turn this around. What is the case to be made that you're watching a baseball team that despite being 10 games back in the division, Five and a half games back of the wild, second wild card, they can go on some type of a run to get themselves into the playoffs. What is the case to be made for that? And then for the other Yankee fans who are pessimistic, I wonder, because if you are on the side of you want both Cashman and Boone gone, like that's your goal here. That's your, your glimmer of optimism. There is only one path to that, and that is a catastrophic failure in line with a team this good, a team with the, the, the odds-on favorites to, to get to the World Series at the start of the season to completely miss the playoffs. That's the path. To come in with this level of expectation— this much talent, and you can't really say it's a single injury that's derailed them. No, the team is just bad. So to have all of that unfold under the watch of Cashman and Boone, that to me is the only path, though I would still say it is unlikely, the only path to them both being fired, them missing the playoffs. So if you are on that side of it, are you now finding yourselves rooting for this team to miss the playoffs completely because you know that deep down there has to be some type of change that happens at the end of the year. See, this is how you celebrate a holiday weekend. Dougie Fresh, Slick Rick, talk to him. Say hey. Um, Ty Butler, 98.7 ESPN. We're going to 6 o'clock tonight. 
Got Yankees Mets game two of the doubleheader. Sunday night baseball pregame starting at six. First pitch a little after seven. That will be John Shiambi and Chris Singleton on the call, slated to start for the Yankees and the Mets. Corey Oswald and Nestor Cortez started the show on the Yankees. They are up 4-1 right now on the Mets as we head to the top of the fourth inning of this seven-inning doubleheader, uh, first half of the doubleheader. But that not, in any way, that's not going to elude the criticism because as I alluded to last segment a team with a 200 million dollar payroll should not be a game above 500 halfway through the season especially when there isn't like some significant injury we're looking at and saying well that's the reason they are where they are right now that derailed them no for the most part, they're healthy. Luke Voigt was on the IL, and Hicks is done for the season. But the core of the team with Torres and, and Judge and Stanton and LeMahieu and Cole, they're, they're, in part, they're participating. Like this, this is no excuse. Corey Kluber, after the no-hitter, he got hurt. The rotation, you know, outside of of Kluber and Cole up until that point was a mess, but there are no excuses for this team. You should not be a game above 500 on July 4th. That should not happen. That should not happen. Let's get to your phone calls. We head to Long Island to talk to Anthony. You on ESPN New York. What's up, my man? Talk to me. Hey, thank you. Uh, I think this is my first time listening. I'm enjoying the show. Oh, nice. Just uh, very disgusted with the Yankees. I am too, man. Talk to me. Tell me about it. Yeah, so I'm just very disgusted with the Yankees. And, uh, you know, I listen to the Michael K show all the time, and they're always calling, everyone always is calling up and saying, why do they, you know, not try to get hits? Why are they only hitting home runs and striking out? He always says that the analytic guys, that's what they want. They want either home run or strikeout, right? So I, I just don't understand where this whole kind of theory of playing baseball came from. Like, who are they trying to emulate? Since the 1990 Yankees, there have been no dynasties in baseball. All right, so why aren't they following the Yankees' formula? Who, what other teams are good? They, like the Giants had a quasi-dynasty, right? They, they did it on pitching. They didn't have home run guys. They had guys that hit, got hits. So I don't yeah. understand this. I don't think the Yankees could turn around. They need, they need a lot of uh, hitters, and they don't have them. Yeah, but I hope so they I, do. I, and I appreciate your call, Anthony. Uh, first time listening to the show. Shout out to you, man. Thanks for, for, for chiming in. I would disagree with one small thing that you just said in analyzing what the approach is. It's not that they want strikeouts. Like, no one wants the team to strike out. They believe that strikeouts aren't as detrimental as they used to be 20, 30 years ago. There is no, you know, bunting, moving the guy over. Like, that's just not going to happen. Philosophically, the game has changed so much we can all sit here until the cows come home and revert back to the glory days of the 90s. That's just not going to happen. The team is put together to hit home runs. It's home run or bust. Like Reminds me of Greg Popovich. You know, move the ball or die. Hit home runs or die. If the Yankees aren't hitting home runs, they are, for argument's sake, dead. Drawing dead to make the playoffs. Not just drawing dead to win the title, drawing dead to make the playoffs. And that is 
like I understand the frustration from the fans because if you've been watching this team for your entire life, all you've known is their ability to work counts and move guys over, and it's bloop, bloop, then blast, right? Go opposite field, string a couple of doubles together, bunt this guy over, then you hit the home run, pitching comes in, shuts it down, ball game over. But that's just not what baseball is anymore. And as far as who they're trying to emulate, that's what the league is. Like, that, this isn't just unique to the Yankees. It, I, I, see, but, and that's the thing. Like, that's why I don't know if it's so much about analytics as it is about execution. The entire sport has gravitated toward analytics. Everyone is doing it. You find whatever algorithm you use, it, it spits numbers out and it spits the lineup out, and that's what you put on display out there. It's just the Yankees have been bad at executing. So is it talent? And if it's a talent problem, that falls on the GM, Brian Cashman. Players not being as good as they, as they should be, to me, that falls on the manager because everyone wants to sit here and say, well, you know, it's not Aaron Boone. He's doing exactly what the the team wants him to do. I'm old enough to remember the Red Sox last year being a team that stunk. They finished 12 games under 500. Coincidentally enough, they bring back Alex Cora, who helped them win a World Series, who managed them to a World Series. Now they're 21 games over 500 and in first place ahead of the Yankees by 10 games. So great managers still have tremendous value. There, there is an impact of having someone in your locker room, whether it be a leader or just the ability to galvanize the room to get the most out of the talent on his or her roster. And we just haven't seen that with Aaron Boone. And the problem with Boone is he's always going to be judged through somewhat of an unfair lens. And that is, look, Girardi won a title, then got to Game 7 in Houston in 2017 against a team that we then learned was cheating. So for them to get to that point was a, a, an accomplishment in itself. You then fire that guy because the idea was he's never going to be able to get you to that quote-unquote next level of winning a championship, despite the fact that eight years prior to that, he had done just that. So you get rid of him, and since then, the Yankees haven't even come close to where um, where Girardi, Girardi got them to. That's just what it is. The last eight years, here are the Yankees. One division title. The last eight years, here are the Red Sox. Two world championships. That's a number I don't really like. They are in danger of missing the playoffs for the fourth time in the last decade. They haven't played a single World Series game since 2009. The New York Yankees, and yeah, I sound like a spoiled Yankees fan. You're a brat. You're not used to being humbled by losing. Every No, 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 no. Listen, there are certain teams in sports where losing hits differently. The Dallas Cowboys, yeah, they haven't won a title, but every year the expectations are to win the Super Bowl. And when they don't win, changes changes happen. There there are certain organizations, the Celtics, the Lakers, the Cowboys, those those staying powers, those marquee franchises where yes, it just feels differently 
when the team is mediocre and falling short of expectations. And that's where we are right now with the New York Yankees, who are right now in the top of the fourth inning against the Mets, up 4-1. But once again, more trouble for Garrett Cole. I got some numbers on him coming up later about the, the sticky stuff situation and how all of a sudden he's just not the same pitcher. Uh, I don't know. Something weird about that. But the Yankees up 4-1, first and second, nobody out for the Mets. Uh, and, and McKinney's at the plate, so I'll keep you posted on that. James in Spring Valley, talk to me, brother. Happy 4th. Hi, Ty, my brother, man. Happy Fourth, and congratulations to all your blessings, man. What's going on, brother? Yeah, yeah man. Um, quick stat: twenty fifth. This is the twenty fifth time that the Yankees had a negative one differential, and the twenty fourth times they've missed the playoffs. So this is oh. not a good sign. I don't like Yankees. that stat. So, why, why are we coming with, with, I, with I negativity? I know, but I got to ask you uh, two quick questions. Number one: if the Yankees continue the way that they continue. Will they be forced to be sellers at the tread deadline? And number two, I know you're a big hoops fan. This is this is this is um we got Chris Paul going to the NBA Finals, going up against the Greek Freak. Will the will the ratings affect how this could potentially be a fun finals? Because you don't have LeBron, you don't have Kevin Durant, you don't have the prestige big market players or big market teams. Those are my Pre- two quick questions. Gotcha, James. Appreciate the call. The second one is actually very interesting because I'm going to make a point about that in previewing the NBA Finals. When we talk about the ratings, I I have a very interesting take on what we're going to get beginning Tuesday night when the Bucs and the Suns tip off Game 1 of the Finals. And it has to do with something that I've heard, like the one criticism of the NBA I've heard the last decade or so. We are now going to capitalize on what people were asking for. So I would love to see what the reaction is based on the ratings. Now, to answer your first question, I think it would be from a pride standpoint. Now, you don't run your business or your organization solely on pride, right? You have to make the best decisions for your team. But how embarrassing would it be for the Yankees to come into this year with the level of expectations they had and then be forced to sell. You employ Cole Stanton. You employ stars. And at the trade deadline, you're selling? Gary Cole just walked the bases loaded, by the way. So the Mets, big threat here, top of the fourth inning, trailing 4-1, to one, but nobody uh, bases loaded, nobody out. Sellers at the deadline, which, look, you could make the case they should sell at the deadline. Try to shed some of these contracts, get younger and more athletic because this team clearly isn't doing it. There, there is nothing we've seen so far halfway through the year that would suggest they're ready to go on some type of a run. We, we've seen nothing of that sort so far. So should they set at the deadline? Maybe they should. But will they? I just can't see it happening. A team that was expected to win the World Series is selling at the deadline? Because I think you look yourself in the face and you convince like the the Yankees. Let's just say they win this. They they sweep the doubleheader today. You're always going to talk yourself into, well, look, maybe that's the moment we needed this season. Maybe that's the the, the turning point of the year. This walk off hit, this grinded out game, this thirteen to three victory on a Tuesday night in the Bronx. Maybe that's the win that's going to, you know change the narrative for us this year that's going to turn the tide 
maybe just maybe that's what this team needed. The players meeting, the players only meeting didn't work. The GM coming out didn't work. The owner coming out didn't work. Getting swept by the Red Sox for the second straight time this year didn't work. Losing to the Angels in one of the most pathetic losses I've ever seen as a Yankee fan. Blowing a four-run lead with your closer on the mound in the ninth inning. Didn't work. The team still looks the same. Lethargic, unenthused, uninterested. But you're always going to convince yourself, yeah, you know what? We're just one series away from turning the tables. One series away. We're going until 6 o'clock today. About 15 minutes, we're going to chat with... uh, my guy from SiriusX and NBA Radio, Justin Termini, will talk some some hoops. But I still want to hear from the Yankee fans out there. I know you're either watching the game or you know at home or you're at the ballpark. But if you're listening to the show, are you rooting for this team to miss the playoffs? Because you know it would mean or it would be the only path to wholesale changes at the end of the season. Meaning you could get the GM gone. You could get both the GM and the manager gone. Or is there still something you're hanging on to and saying we can make a run? I'll share my world with you. If you want to waste your time, yeah. you waste your time with me. I mean, honestly. So they can this song, and I guess they dedicated it to me and the Yankees. I'm wasting my time watching this team. They're up 4-1 with their ace on the mound. You think that in a seven-inning game against the Mets, one of the worst offenses in, in baseball, they should be fine. But of course, just like that, the lead is gone. So I'll catch you up on what happened. And before we get to Justin Terminator, let me just quickly catch you up on what happened, uh, what's currently happening in the top of the fourth as the Yankees are melting down. The Mets get... Uh, a Nitto single to right, a Nimmo single to right, and then Lindor singles to right. So three RBIs, but on the final one, uh, Nimmo was thrown out trying to go to third. So the runners are first and third, 3-2 pitch to Dom Smith. He walks, now the bases are loaded with still two outs, and the game is tied. So instead of laughing to stop myself from crying, I choose to switch sports, and we go to Justin Termini of SiriusXM NBA Radio to talk finals, Knicks, Nets, and all things NBA. JT, what's up, my brother? How are we doing today? I'm doing fine. He just gave me that update there on the Yankees. That's one of the reasons I'm glad that the NBA season is going a little bit deeper here than it typically does because I haven't had to watch the Yankees because I'm focused on basketball. So I almost wish it would go all the way to October uh, so right? I can miss the entire Yankees season. <laughs> tie. They've been that bad. Uh, they've been awful, man. They've been awful. But you know, what what can you do when you when you're paying a guy three hundred and twenty four million dollars over? Over nine years, it's a lot to expect him to shut down the worst offense in baseball. But uh, let's let's talk about the NBA Finals because it's set. Last night in Game Six, the Bucks took care of business without Giannis, by the way, because Chris Middleton he was sensational in that third quarter. He goes on his own sixteen to two run in Atlanta against a, a really potent uh, offensive team with the Hawks. So credit to the Bucks for doing what they did. Your thoughts on last night's game and what this means for not just Giannis, not just Bud, but the Bucks as an organization. 
Well, I, I thought they repaid Giannis's faith in staying there, right? Because the, the question at the beginning of the season was, all right, is Chris Middleton a good enough number two? Is bringing in Drew Holiday uh, good enough to get him to the NBA Finals? Should he go to Miami? Right? Everybody in the media will have him pegged for Miami at the outset of the year. And I'm also glad that, uh, that Chris Middleton start starting to get his due because I like to call him Jimmy Butler without the PR because I think mm. he's just as good of a player as Jimmy Butler. But Jimmy Butler gets a ton of credit. Now, Jimmy Butler was fantastic last year, Ty, as we know. But that took place in, in a bubble setting, which I think is a little bit different, a little easier to maybe to put up bigger numbers. Middleton's putting up almost identical numbers to Butler last year and throughout the course of his career. Uh, just doesn't get the attention. Uh, so, I, you know, I think he's a good enough number two. And the way people are going down in this postseason, maybe he's even a good enough number one to, to win an NBA championship if Giannis doesn't come back. It's funny you bring up Chris Middleton, uh, Justin Termini here on the Ty Butler Show, 98.7 ESPN, because I remember, I believe it was two summers ago when he was a free agent. Like, the Knicks had, it was the year that Durant and Kyrie, there was, you know, a conversation about them potentially coming to New York. They did come to New York, but they went to Brooklyn. And Middleton was one of the free agents who was on the market. And I just remember hearing Knicks fans, you know, Knicks have a lot of money. Don't go out there and sign a guy like Chris Middleton. All of a sudden, I become a Chris Middleton defender. Like, this guy, I get it. You don't want to be the Knicks and give him a max contract. But let's not act like this guy is some scrub. And he's had some bad playoff games this season. He's had some bad playoff games, but he's also been great. And when he's great, it's hard to beat the Bucks. So, uh, I, I second your your you know praise of Chris Middleton, uh, the Bucks winning last night, beating beating the uh, beating the Hawks in six games. So now they move on to the finals, where we get to CP3, and of course for the first time in his 16 year career, he is playing in NBA Finals. What does this mean for his legacy? Yeah, I mean, it starts to open up that conversation as to where he fits in all time. Because I'm with Isaiah Thomas, and we have Isaiah on the show often, the, the Hall of Famer Isaiah Thomas. And I always like to needle him about Chris Paul because I don't have an issue with Chris Paul. I have a problem with the way he's been covered. It's like for the last 10, 15 years, people have been, oh, he's, he's Isaiah Thomas. He's in that. You know, you've got to win first. And that's the same thing that Isaiah says. It's like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't care what the circumstances are. And Chris Paul's played with some really good teams, right? I mean, he played side-by-side -side with James Harden. He's an MVP. Mm -hmm. He played with Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, when DeAndre Jordan's making first-team All-NBA. Jamal Crawford won six-man of the year. Doc Rivers, who at that time were viewing as a very good coach. And they're not able to get, like, out of the second round. And then with Harden, he, he just falls short of the NBA Finals, gets out of the second round once. But you have to win. I mean, you look at uh, Isaiah. Isaiah's got two titles. Isaiah did that when he was going up against Jordan, Magic, yep. and Bird, and he's got to go through that road. You, you know, you talk Magic's got the five. Uh, Walt Frazier, if we're keeping it New York based, has the two. Uh, Bob Cousy's got the six championships. So if you want to be one of the five, six best point guards in history, sport, my estimation, you have to win. I don't need him to win two. I don't need him to win three. But it, it, he does need to get over the hump once. So I think his legacy, yes, stands a lot to gain here if, if they can win the title. So if he goes and wins the title this year, let's just assume Giannis comes back. He's not going to be 100% healthy. But if he is, you know, 70% of himself, if he is an adequate version of what we know the two-time league, league MVP to be, and Chris Paul goes out there, leads the Suns to a title, their first in franchise history, it's the first time they're there since 93 when when uh, Charles Barkley was, was the MVP of the league and he lost in six to Jordan's Bulls, if he goes out and overcomes everything that this organization has been up against the last couple of years, they've been so dreadful. Remember, like Devin Booker's getting a lot of love. He, 
he had that 70-point game and a loss, and we clowned this guy. Like, this team was an absolute joke. So Paul coming here and establishing them as some legitimate team and possibly winning a championship, if he does that, where would you slate him? Because I've got Magic, of course. You've got Steph. Like, how far down the list do we go until we get to Chris Paul if he wins the title this year? Yeah, I think it's right around five because I'm with you. I got Magic one. I've got Steph two, which took me a while to come around on putting Steph that high because I'm a guy that respects the history of the sport. Then you've got Oscar and you've got Isaiah. So those are four non-negotiables. Even if Paul wins, he's not ahead of those guys. Then I get into to two guys that are a little bit more controversial. Uh, one of them is Walt Frazier. He's got two titles. He's got the greatest game seven in my estimation back in 1970, which yep. Austin often overshadowed by Willis Reed, right? Uh, but he was an offensive force, but he was one of the great defenders in the history of the sport as well, right? And then it's Bob Cousy, and I know I take a lot of heat on this, and this is my case. Not only the six championships, but I think you judge guys based on how they compare to their, their peers, right? You don't necessarily judge them to to history, of course, Chris Paul's going to maybe run circles around Bob Cousy right now. But Cousy won six titles. He's got an MVP. That's something that Chris Paul doesn't have. And also, Bob Cousy has 10 first-team All-NBAs, meaning the separation between Bob Cousy and the next best point guard at that time was mammoth. Whereas with Chris Paul, I would even call Chris Paul the best point guard today, would you? Because you've got uh, uh, you've got uh, Steph Curry, right? He's Dame. been the best point guard of the last 10, 15 years. Damian Lillard's right in that conversation as well. So, uh, you know, James Harden, if you want to put him at a point guard. So, you know, Paul, to me, starts to enter that conversation probably around six or seven. I'd still have him behind uh, Bob Cousy and Walt Frazier, but if you want to put him ahead of those guys, like, I'm certainly going to have to deal with the argument because I think many people would. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's funny you, you mentioned um, you know the Willis regain like we know it as the Willis regain for obvious reasons, but then Walt goes thirty seven and nineteen, one of the greatest games we've ever seen. Let's know that's the Willis regain. Uh, so quickly yeah. on Chris Paul, it's Justin Termini from Sirius XM NBA Radio joining us, my good buddy. Uh, on Chris Paul, there are some reports that surfacing that he's going to opt out of the final year of his contract that will pay him about $44 million. He wants one last big payday. Any chance he leaves Phoenix? Because if he does, now it opens up the door for Nick fans to dream about him possibly coming here and doing what he did with Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and Bridges and, and Crowder and, and that young core, doing that on the East Coast and possibly getting that franchise its first championship and then this franchise its first championship since 73. Where do you stand on the possible or the possibility of there actually being a Chris Paul sweepstakes win or lose? Well, we had on Friday, we had Robert Sarver on, right? He's the owner of, of Phoenix. He was on the show, uh, and he's pretty confident that they're going to they're going to dole out the money in order to keep Chris Paul, right? And he said he's happy to reward greatness, and he's happy to, uh, to to reward people that are that are achieving. So I think he's going to pay him. Now the question becomes, if, and he can offer him a, a lot more money, right? Yeah. Because of this obscure rule about you know a fourth year and a third year for somebody that's uh, you know 36, 37, mm-hmm. 38 years of age. So it now becomes to the, the point is where does Chris Paul want to play, right? And I'll lose a ton of respect. I'd lose, lose respect for Phoenix if they didn't pay him. But let's say Phoenix does offer him, you know, a, an adequate contract and he goes to New York, then I'm losing a lot of uh, respect for Chris Paul. Would I love to see the Knicks good? Absolutely. I think it's good for the league. But Chris Paul, if he's got an opportunity to win in Phoenix, why are you going to risk it by playing in New York? Yeah, the, the, you know, I guess the glory that you would get by winning as a Nick is far greater than that of Phoenix. But if you're Chris Paul, you finally found a situation 
situation where you've got guys that listen to you uh, and and take your leadership seriously. I don't think that happened in L.A. and Houston. You've got a possibility maybe to win multiple championships. I don't think you risk that by going to New York. So I would question Chris Paul's desire to win if he would leave a really good spot in Phoenix. Maybe what would matter more than all of that and that something that the Knicks can offer is that if Pat Beverly ever came to you and pushed you in the back, <laughs> Taj Gibson is not going to just stand there like Dario Saric and allow it to happen. Julius Randle is going to be a rough rider, and he's going to go out there and defend you. I didn't understand that. Joking, of course. Well, so yeah, you mentioned, yeah, because then they're going to get suspended for the finals. You can't so, do that. So I get I that. I thought it showed good restraint not to do anything. I get that, but we do need someone on that sideline, someone not of that importance, so not Crowder, not Bridges, you know, none of those guys. Booker, of course, Aiton. We need someone to go yeah. over there and tell Pat Beverly, hey, man, listen, you cannot get away with just shoving our leader, like blindsiding him that way. Like, that's not going to ha- I don't need you to go Edgar Belinger there and knock him out. But we do got to find wherever that line we draw is and say, look, th- this is not going to happen. And, and Pat Beverly, of course, comes out and apologizes on Twitter the next day. No one's buying that. You're one of the dirtiest players in the league. So someone's got to go up there and stand up for one of the greatest point guards ever, one of the greatest players ever. You're a team leader, a guy who just got you back to the finals for the first time since 93. I just felt strongly about that for some reason. Maybe I was wrong. Yeah, and everybody's on my boy Frank Kaminsky to, to have been the guy that did that. So I think he was standing pretty close there as well. Uh, but, you know, you are right from the fact that I love the style of play that Patrick Beverly brings. I think we need more of that in the league, but he definitely crossed the line there. Uh, and the one thing I will say, it's like not Chris Paul's the cleanest player in the history of the sport. I mean, he's got there, you know, he's going after guys' midsections. Like Chris Paul's got a history of being dirty as well. But that could have been really bad because he blindsided him. And like, what if he gets whiplash or something? Okay, <laughs> Patrick Beverly gets suspended for the start of next season. But then Chris Paul's got to be out at the you know the outset of the finals. Uh, you can't be doing that. That's a joke. Yeah, and I said Sarich. It was Kaminsky who stood there and actually watched it happen. He saw it before it was going to happen and, and, and chose to do nothing. I want to ask you a couple of quick questions about some of the local teams here. Are you in or out on the Knicks actually being a prime destination for free agents? We saw what happened this year. They get to the playoffs. They host a playoff series. Tibbs gets the coach of the year. R.J. Barrett shows improvement. You get uh, Julius Randle as the most improved player. Are you buying or selling this Knicks stock of that this upward trajectory? Yeah, I mean, all they have to do is show they're confident, and everybody should be wanting to go play there, right? I mean, how many uh, for the last twenty years I'm going to Knicks games and I'm leaving at halftime because they weren't any good, but the crowd's still into it. I mean, I remember two years ago when they, you know, they're playing with David Fisdale and Bobby Portis went off one game, and they're, they're chanting the whole place is chanting Bobby Portis is like. The environment there, any free agent, once they just show a little bit of competency, which I think they did this year, you should be dying to go there. So I'm hoping this is the turnaround. And, yeah, I mean, I don't know if he's got, like, Kawhi Leonard. Why would Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard leave Los Angeles, like, leave the Clippers when they're on the precipice of the title? So I don't know if a guy like that's going to come. But, I mean, slowly as they start to show you something, like the Mets did a couple of years ago, maybe like Phoenix did where they proved something to Chris Paul when they went down to the bubble and Paul's going, all right, like, I like the pieces. You know, it's heading in the right direction. Then Paul went there. The Knicks started to show that this year the right direction, and, and now hopefully you guys will start to go there because, yeah, like if all things are equal, a guy's going to end up going to New York over, you know, say if, uh, you know, the, the Minnesota Timber, Timberwolves show their kind. Like, you know, if everybody's on equal footing, people are going to pick the Knicks, no doubt. So they're in did, the right direction. 
Dame Lillard becomes available, let's just hypothetically say he becomes available. I think any and everyone on this Nick roster, you could have you could have whatever pick you want. You can have Randall Barrett. You can have whoever you want. I want Damian Lillard in a Nick uniform. You agree? Oh, um, yeah, but is Damian Lillard going to want to come here if his goal is to win? Now, if it's to get to a big market, okay. But if it's to win, then I don't see why Damian Lillard wants to go to New York, especially if you're going to get rid of all the pieces that, that would be here to support him. You're just going to lose worse than he did in Portland, in my estimation. But, yeah, yeah Damian Lillard's one of my favorite players in the league, without a doubt. And, look, one of your favorite players in the league, we saw something tragic happen. Uh, he lost his second and third best players on his team. Uh, James Harden goes down with an ha- with a hamstring. Uh, Irving goes down with an ankle. Then Harden tries to play on a bad hamstring. It didn't work out, but Durant was fantastic, and that's the guy who I'm talking about, one of your favorite players in the league. Is it fair to call the net season what just transpired a failure? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a failure. Uh, and I didn't think that they were going to go to the NBA Finals anyway, and I probably got a little bit lucky that guys went down or else they would have went to the NBA Finals because I didn't think they took the regular season seriously enough and they didn't play enough together. And, you know, 75 years of NBA basketball tells you that you've got to have a little continuity going into the postseason. But they were just so good, I guess they probably wouldn't have needed that. And they got bailed out. Uh, the people that picked against them got bailed out a little bit with the injuries. Uh, but Durant, with this performance, and you and I, we fought about this and, like, the worth of his championships when he's in Golden State. And I will cite the fact that Walt Frazier took my side and said that his titles deserved an asterisk. But with that said, like Durant to me, I like it was a compliment when I ripped Durant for going to Golden State because I'm like, you're so good you don't need to go there. Right? You're robbing us of of that that you know that battle that you should be going through and you're good enough to go through uh, in in order to win a championship without joining a 73 win team and a former title team and I think he showed that this year like Durant impressed me more in that series loss than he did with anything that he did in Golden State and I know years from now at 50 years from now you're going to look at the two titles you look at the rings you look at the finals MVPs that's how you're going to judge Kevin Durant but as somebody that's going through the experience and watching him unfold to me I was more impressed with what Durant did this year in the loss than I was with anything he did in Golden State. Two quick, uh, two quick follow-ups before I get you out of here. Uh, the last point on Durant for me is this. What crushes me, and this is a guy who everyone knows I love him. I, I root for him to, to do well. I wanted to see him win this championship for obvious reasons. But then once you get Irving and, and Irving out and Harden compromised, you, he has an opportunity to create some more merit for those championships that he won in Golden State. Because, yeah, people are going to say, you know what, playing alongside Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, and Draymond Green, anyone could have won those titles, even though Harrison Barnes couldn't do it. That's why he was out of there that last season. But if you go out there and you beat this Bucks team, you beat the Hawks, you get to the finals, you beat the Suns, and it's just you and a hobbled James Harden, all of a sudden, the conversation about Durant changes. And I know this is going to sound crazy because you're a Celtic fan, but I was looking at the the opportunity of after the, the conclusion of the finals in a couple of weeks, us having a legitimate conversation. Is Kevin Durant on his way to passing Larry Bird now that he's, he's won another championship? 
<laughs> we got Rob. <laughs> no, he's, he's not that. Now, as far as an offensive, like as a scorer, yeah, Kevin Durant's at the top of the list, maybe over everybody in NBA history. But you look at the other type of you know things that Bird brought to the table in regards to like making his teammates better and a, and a passer. Uh, you know, Bird was on another level, uh, and you know, especially you know, in, in leading a team uh, during the Eastern Conference of the 1980s, I still think it's the most difficult era in the history of the sport. Uh, now, if you want to, if you want to say that Durant's the greatest scorer of all time, uh, you know, there's other guys that are definitely in that mix. Jordan, if you want to go to the center position and wealth, but in regards to Bird, I think Bird's all-around offensive repertoire uh, is is on a different level than Durant. Scoring, no, better scorer than Bird. The rest of the game, uh, you know, rebounding, assists, the way he sees the floor, Bird has the edge. I was just intrigued by if he would have won this championship in the manner that he did, given the regular season resume he has already. He's got the playoff resume. Now he adds this championship that's going to already have much more value. Yes, Larry Bird's a better all-time player, but I just felt like we would be inching toward having that conversation about where Durant ranks in the hierarchy of NBA legends, Larry Bird obviously being a comparison because of the position that he plays. Let's not pretend that those Celtics teams had, you know, Bruce Brown and Joe Harris. But, yeah, he he, he was the best player on those teams. Durant could have had an opportunity to do something really special this year, and it pains me. Now, before I get you out of here real quick, really appreciate I'm having such a good time with you, man. We blew class the clock. I know I told you I only have you for seven minutes, but we get talking hoops. You know I have so much fun. Final question for you, my man, before I let you go. I need a finals prediction. It's tough because we don't know the availability of Yannick's, but Suns, Bucks, where are you going, man? Where are you going? Yeah, I'm going to have to go with the Suns. Home court advantage. I think they're the healthier team. I think they're the better coach team. I think they're the deeper team. So all those things go in, in favor of Phoenix. And this is really one of the finals where I, I don't, you know, I'm not uh, dying if either team wins it. Like, there's no team I dislike. They're both very likable teams. I guess I would like to see Giannis win the title just so we could prove to your guy Durant and LeBron, I don't need to leave and team up and go learn how to win. I can do it in a small market, cold weather city. Uh, without having to team up, so that would be a nice storyline. But uh, I'm going to go Suns in. Uh, I'll go Suns in seven, uh, so they get it back on their home court. But uh, I think uh, I think Phoenix is just too deep, too healthy, and too well coached. Must be nice to be honest and be, get injured in a series and still have your second best player step up and get you to the finals. Something that uh, Durant <laughs> and, and LeBron didn't have at their disposal. Love talking to you, Terry. Go follow him at Termini Radio. He is the co-host of NBA Today on Sirius X and NBA Radio with Eddie Johnson. Tell Eddie I said what's up, man. Been a long time since I spoke to him. He, he has to be yeah. thrilled right now. He has to be overjoyed. Yeah, that's why I'm not rooting for the Suns, to be honest with you. That's my co-host, and I'm told he's going to get a ring if the Suns win. Uh, so I don't want him getting a ring. He went his entire career without one. I don't want him to get one. <laughs> we can't have Eddie Johnson getting rings. Go enjoy the rest of your 4th of July, man. Really appreciate you hopping on the show with me. All right, thanks, bud. Enjoy the rest of your show, and the Yankees stink. <laughs> Later, my man. <laughs> Ty Butler here. We are going until 6 o'clock tonight. That will lead us to pregame between the Yankees and the Mets. Game two of this doubleheader. This one will be a Sunday night baseball affair. Mark Kestrischer will give you the pregame. And then at 7 o'clock, first pitch between the Yankees and the Mets. Given to you by John Shiambi and Chris Singleton. 
So just to, to catch you up on what's happening in the Bronx right now, Yankees right now going to the sixth inning, up 5-4. to four. LeMahieu just scored on a wild pitch thrown by Marcus Stroman in that bottom of the fifth inning. And I see a bunch of Met fans on Twitter now complaining about Luis Rojas, who obviously loves to pull his starters early, but for some reason decided to leave Stroman in there to give up five runs against the Yankees. Uh, but, you know, with the doubleheader later, the second half of the doubleheader later on today, like who knows um, what you're going to be able to do as far as maneuvering your bullpen. So can't really kill him for leaving Stroman in there. But let's get back to your phone calls, 800-919-3776, 800-919-3776, at Ty D. Butler. That's on Twitter and Instagram. Let's go to Jay in Brooklyn. What's good, What's good my man? Talk to me. Yo, peace, Ty. What's going on? Yo, what's up, bro? How you feeling? How you feeling? I'm good. How you um, I was talking to your uh, producer, and I heard you all – Talk about, uh, by the way, happy 4th to you and the family and those who are celebrating the 4th as well. And congratulations on all your new endeavors. Um, I was talking to your producers, and uh, we were having a debate on top five in regards to the point guard. And I noticed that Kyrie wasn't in there. And um, I debated, I debated. Yeah. All time, all time, but well, your 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 producer kind of spoke about it, and he 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 came up with the avenue of him being hurt. But if he wasn't a you know hurt protocol type of person, he would be up there in regards to him just being there for his team. Because in 2015, if he was there, we would probably be talking about a different situation. In regards to that 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 2015 Cleveland versus Warriors thing, but the reason why I was able to get past the gates of Good Jacob is I had jumped out the window, and I want to jump out the window. And this is something that is my opinion. And since we're talking about all-time great point guards, I just jumped out the window and said that the all-time team of all time and I'm guessing everybody will be saying the Bulls and I was a Bull. I am a Bull. I love that red but at the same time when I just look at the game and just look at what has been brought to the game I have to say those 20 um, those 2004-2005 Pistons is probably up there. You know what I mean? With matchups the greatest and things of like all that. Time. The greatest team of all time. Okay, so and look at the matchups. I want to keep you on. Hang on. So I want to keep you on just because I would love to talk through this with you. Let's just go back to your original point about Kyrie Irving being a top five. Not currently. You mean all time, like ever. Like the history of the game, Kyrie Irving is one of the five greatest point guards of all time. That's that's your assertion, correct? That's my assertion, especially if you're going to put Steph Curry over Okay, so you, you think that on a list where we go Magic Johnson, obviously, we go Isaiah, mm-hmm. the original Isaiah Thomas. And this is not a new word. This is just me throwing it out there. Uh, Isaiah Thomas, mm-hmm. Magic Johnson, Steph Curry, John Stockton, you know, Walt Frazier. You, you think Oscar Kyrie's, Robertson. Oscar Robertson, yep. I, you, you think Kyrie <laughs> Irving is cracking, and then Steph Curry, obviously. You th- like Kyrie's in the top five. 
Yes, if he was able to keep his health, but that he boy hasn't. is cold, part, man. Part, part of greatness, all-time greatness, and your legacy is health. Mm-hmm. Like you don't, Health is not an excuse. It's not, well, he got right, hurt. He not. in this. Right. That, that's, show, on but... that's part of your, that's on your resume. There, there is no I'll path to Kyrie Irving being one of the five greatest point guards ever. He, he's one of the best ball handlers we've ever seen. He hit probably the biggest shot in NBA history. But him being a top five all-time point guard ever is preposterous. Yes. That, well, listen, I'll, 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 I'll walk with that. You know what and I mean? Then, I just uh, see. If this is, and also, hold on. Let me rephrase that, Ty. Let me say this. All time of the eyes that I have witnessed, my eyes have witnessed, you know what I mean? Because we get into this situation where we didn't witness Oscar Robertson and we didn't witness some of these players who are on there. But some of the guys who are on your top five, I witnessed. And I have to I have to place some of uh, some of these guys below Kyrie. I'm, oh, I'm sad to say. I'm sorry. We, we can't do that. But he's, <laughs> he's not top five. But to your point about the Pistons being – and I appreciate the call, Jay. The the Pistons being one of the greatest teams of all time, like with all due respect to the great Ben Wallace, who's getting into the Hall of Fame next year, <laughs> that might be I don't want to say lucky, it's because they earned it. That Laker team though was just such a disaster internally. Phil Jackson was on his way out. Shaq was about to get traded. Carl Malone about to retire. Gary Payton was old. The Kobe and Shaq, the friction between those guys. Like, there was just so much internal negative bad energy that derailed that team. They lost in five. Like, even if you went, and I don't know that anyone went into that series thinking that the Pistons were a better team, but even if you had thought that, there was no way you were picking them to win in five games. There's no way you get, you have the 0-4. And that's one of the most unique champions in NBA history, too. Because we go through the list of, of, of title teams. They have one thing in common for the most part, and that's that one all-time great player. Ben Wallace is a Hall of Famer, but he's not, like, one of the best players of all time. But that, that was a I appreciate the call, Jay, but... Odd takes, to say the least. Richard in Manhattan. Let's, let's get back on track. What's going on, my man? Ty, I don't know about point guards. But first of all, Chris Paul, what he's doing at 36 years old is great. Amazing. Fantastic. It's a great accomplishment. It's probably unprecedented in NBA history. I don't remember a 36-year-old guard playing this well at this stage of the game, going to a championship. Anyway, Especially I don't one, point- and, and what makes it more impressive is that his career has been riddled with injuries. And he actually, there was a report that came out last night that he's been playing with some torn ligaments in his hand. And that is in addition to the the shoulder injury he suffered against the the Lakers. So uh, impressive. I've seen all the guards. And and Chris Paul does not make the top 25. He is not nearly as good as Gary Payton, Dennis Johnson, JoJo White, Nate Archibald, Chauncey Billups, Joe Dumas. Dave Bing, Hal Greer. I mean, I can go on and on, and let alone the guys that you got now, Steph, Kyrie, Harden, Russell, those guys. And then you got Frazier, Oscar, Jerry. I mean, he would be hard-pressed to make the top 25, and I've seen them all. 
Bob Cousy. You can't include him in that group. Top 25, I don't know. Now, point guard, non-point guard, I don't know. Because in those days, it was Nebulous who was a point guard. Was he as good as Earl Monroe? Not in my book. I don't put him with Earl Monroe. No way. No way. Allen Iverson? No way. Isaiah Thomas? No way. He's good, but not top 25. Uh, top 25 night, point Atlanta, guards? No, guards. Guards. I'm guards. just going guards. Okay. guards. I don't want to go point, doing point guard. I, can't. I disagree well, you know, with you. Was, was Earl Monroe point guard? I don't know. Uh, was yeah, I, I disagree with you. On, first of all, he's better than Russell Westbrook. Hey, don't, don't sit here and say... You put him above Russell Westbrook? Russell Westbrook's a better point guard than Chris Paul. Triple Stop double ever imagined. Come on. Come on. Chris Paul, it. his impact on winning, his his like what he did in Oklahoma City and now coming to Phoenix and getting these teams but to change. he's champ- never won like a championship. The- this is his first year. Okay, right, but how many championships has Russell Westbrook won? And, and, and I, I love... We just talking about championships. We're talking about champ. If we're gonna talk about championships, yes. Uh, Westbrook, the counting numbers and and triple doubles. I think it's undervalued. People knock on him because he p- puts up empty numbers. I, I I think Russell Westbrook is a tremendous player and one who I argued in the past the Knicks should have traded for. But as far as judging up his value against uh, Chris Paul in terms of impact on winning, it's not even close. Chris Paul I, has I, this I team. Chris Paul has this team contending the favorites Payton. to win the title. Ty, I don't think Chris Paul is near a tie. Gary Payton. I don't think he's near a Jason. I think he's better than Gary Payton. Dennis yeah. Johnson. These guys can guard, defend, rebound. Oh, they Chris Paul is one of the Chris Paul is one of the, the best defensive guards ever. No, not nearly as good. Jason Kidd was guarding LeBron James in 2011. Dennis Johnson was guarding Bernard King in the playoff in '84. Uh, no, come on, please, Ty. I've seen them all, believe me. All right, last night's game, Atlanta-Milwaukee. Yes. That was a bad choke job by Atlanta. You're playing game six at home. They're playing without their best player, one of the top three players in the league. You've got to show up better than that. I don't care whether Trey Young is hurt or not. You're on the court. You've got to put on a better performance than that. And really, Atlanta was never in that game last night. That was a terrible performance. Very bad. I was so disappointed in their performance last night that, you know, that it really left a bad taste. Ty, one more thing. Did you read today's article in the Post by Steve Serby with yes. Bob Albert? Yes, the one-on-one interview. It was fantastic. Oh, it was very disappointing, and I'll tell you why. Disappointing? Wow. Very, and I'll tell you why. Okay. 85% of the article was about basketball. The okay. other 10% was other sports, boxing mm-hmm. and football, baseball. That's family. There's the other 3%, family so that's 95%. Yeah. 3% was on, on entertainment, Letterman, Johnny Carson. Do you know only 2% of that article was about hockey? Marv Albert made his mark with hockey. He came in in 1965 doing the Ranger games on WHN. And his second greatest f- phrase was, well, his first greatest, of course, was yes, mm-hmm. after a Nick Basket when they were hot. But his second greatest phrase was not garbage time that he used at the end of Nick games or a facial when somebody stumped on somebody in front of them, their face. His greatest, second greatest phrase ever in sports was a hockey phrase. And do you know what that phrase was? Tell it to me. and a beauty. That was the greatest hockey phrase ever invented. That's the phrase that Marv came up with before, yes, in 
1969-70. He started with the Rangers in 65. I was there 10 years old listening to WHN. He'd do the last two minutes of each Ranger game, third period, and then the whole third, first and second period, last two minutes, and then the last, the third period, the whole game. And hockey is what made Marv Albert, gave him his start. And then, of course, 68, I think he came to the next, he replaced Marty Glickman on the radio. But uh, that was very disappointing that they didn't mention the Rangers because, to me, Marv Albert was always associated with the Rangers. Ty, always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Richard and Manhattan. Really appreciate your call. We do got to show some love to Marvel, but we will do that on the other side of the break. Just a quick update on what is happening in the boogie down. Chad Green escapes some trouble. First and second, two outs. He gets Dom Smith to pop out. So the Yankees now take a 5-4 lead to the bottom of the sixth inning in the first half of this doubleheader. Remember, doubleheader is only seven innings, so the Yankees... Uh, really close to a victory, but it's going to be very interesting to see what happens when Chapman has to come into this game. This is the Ty Butler Show on 98.7 ESPN. Oh, when it gets to me, I'll be thinking way too hard. It is the Ty Butler Show, 98.7 ESPN. We're going until 6 o'clock tonight. And at that time, you'll get pregame of the Yankees and Mets. Game two, Sunday night baseball of this doubleheader. Mark Kestesher will hand over the reins at 7 o'clock. First pitch between the Yankees and Mets to John Shiambi and Chris Singleton. And I, I come to you with an update uh, <laughs> of this game. The Mets now have the bases loaded in, in the top of the seventh inning with uh, McCann at the plate. The Yankees led 5-4 coming into this inning. Aroldis Chapman surrenders a game-tying solo shot to Pete Alonzo. The Mets have now... You, you know it's bad when your team has the infield in. Like, that, that is a telltale sign for you that things are not going well for your baseball team. The infield is all, is all the way in. The Yankees got to find a way uh, to, to somehow <laughs> get out of this jam. But this, this feels like, and it's a microcosm of the season... If the Mets score a run, the Yankees are drawing dead to win the game. Anytime the Yankees tri- one nothing two one three three you know four three, it's they're not winning the game. As a fan, I'm watching. That's what I'm thinking. They cannot win the game if they're trailing. Get ahead, and even if you get ahead like today four one with Garrett Cole on the mound, you still find yourself drawing dead. <sighs> oh my God. It's frustrating. Like This is the first time I've ever hosted, and I haven't hosted a ton of shows, but hosted a show while watching the Yankees in action. So you're trying to do the show, keep people posted on what's going on, because obviously it's an important event. People want to know what's happening. But you're also, as a fan, intently watching yourself. Uh Uh-oh. Is that a Grand Slam? It is foul. Okay, so McCann came within a few feet of, of hitting a grand slam, and that probably would have ended the radio show because I would have thrown the Comrex on the ground, and Jacob's now got to call the, our program director and let him know Ty's gone mad, and he can't handle the rest of the show anymore. So I'll keep you posted on what's going on. Let's go back to the phones. Buddha in the Bronx wants to talk. What's up, man? Talk to me, my friend. Hey, what's going on, TD? How you doing, bro? Uh, not doing well. Hope, hopefully you're doing better. Hopefully. 
Uh, I mean, listen, I called you about the basketball. All I'll just say with the Yankees is, uh, in a lot of ways, this season and what's taking place and where it was going is exactly what's needed. Because if Hal Steinbrenner doesn't think he needs to change his approach, we're going to be in another eight or nine years of this kind of nonsense. So hopefully he'll learn, you know, there's got to be change. You know, there has to be some change. Yeah, I, I second that. And if and I mentioned this at the top of the show. I know you want to get to a basketball point, so I'll, I'll keep you on. But if you are a Yankee mm-hmm. fan right now, rooting for change, rooting for some type of change, because we've seen that there's been a reluctance to do so. Like they've been stubborn in that approach. This is how we, we're going about things. This is how we think we can win. I don't care what the 81-game the sample size says or the 10-year sample size, depending on what issue you want to look at. I don't care what it shows. We think this is the way to win. If you're a Yankee fan rooting for change, though, it must mean that you're also rooting for them to miss the playoffs because the only path to us seeing some type of change, whether significant or benign, has to be a team expected, predicted, projected to get to the World Series, not make the playoffs, to get to the World Series. We're breaking down the matchups between the Yankees and the Dodgers. And for that team to completely DNP, postseason DNP, you're not even a part of the dance. It's October and you're home watching the Red Sox, who finished 12 games under 500 last year, get their manager back. And now they're 21 over, leading your division by 10 games. That's what we're watching. If you if you want change, it has to be inspired by something like that. But I digress. Go ahead, Buddha. <laughs> Playoffs. You kidding me? They're just trying to win a game. <laughs> it's very sad. <laughs> Listen, um, first thing, I got to give you credit. Uh, we had spoke before, and, you know, before, when you know, when the, when the playoffs were going on, I mean, even before the playoffs, and um, you told me you said Doc Rivers is overrated. I disagree with you. I think I have to um, I have to yield on that point. Uh, oh, wow. Right. Bro- yeah, getting proven yeah, no, right. I, love, love when people tell me I'm right about things. That's getting good. proven right there. I just have a question for you. What's up, bro? Um, Late on me. Looking at this, looking at this, looking at this um, series coming up. Okay. Now, when I look at the backcourt matchups, when I look at the, the 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 quality of player coming off the bench, when I look at the coaching, there's only one thing that I see that the Bucks do better, and that's probably uh, team defense. And I'm trying to figure out how they're going to win more than a game there, bro. Especially with Giannis injured. Well, what's tough, and, and see, that's the part right there, Buddha. What's tough to project is the availability of Giannis. Because if he's healthy enough to not just play, like not be James Harden, you're just a, a, a traffic cone out there. But if he's healthy enough to be not even the MVP version of Giannis, but to just be a functional player, like to be good, where now Drew Holiday is playing the best ball of his Bucks career, Middleton has been fantastic, all of a sudden, Bobby Portis can't miss. Lopez looks like a big man again. Like the, they, they still have a, a legitimate team, even if Giannis is compromised. They still have a, a good chance to win this series. But that's why, in trying to analyze, you know, Bucks and Six or Suns, like we don't know the, you know, the status of Giannis. I know I saw a report yesterday that had that series against the Hawks gone seven games, he could have been available for Game Seven. But what does that even mean? Another report yesterday that he did on court work before the game. What does that even mean? That it's so you know like nebulous. It's hard to to plan 
for a take on this series without knowing how healthy Giannis is going to be? I mean, the backup matchup, the backcourt matchup, though, I mean, that clearly favors um, Phoenix. I like Aiden, to be quite honest with you, you know, to, uh, in terms of, you know, what, what he'll give you, you know, in, ter- in terms of like a fast pace, or, you know, as a moving game. And, and I'm just looking at the supporting cast. I you know, I'm, I'm real thrilled with the Bucks supporting cast. I mean, they're, they're iffy. Even Middleton, to be honest with you. He yeah. has two good games, didn't give uh-huh. you a bad one, you know. But see, that's the thing about Middleton. When he has a great game, the Bucks don't lose. Like, you watch him, and, and the great games he's had, we can throw away the first round because the, they, they, Miami was overmatched. But against the Nets and the Hawks, when Middleton is great, because he's not average, he's either going to be bad or great. When he's great, the Bucks win that game. Yeah, I mean, but he needs to be great, you know, more than three times. Exactly. If they're going to win. There's going to be a seven-game series. The intrigue for me, uh uh-oh. Uh-oh. Peralta just hit a – was that a grand slam? Um, Hang on, Buddha. (laughs) Hang on, Buddha. I'm trying to keep everyone posted on this. this. It looks like Peralta just hit a grand slam Uh for the Mets, clears the bases, they are up now 9-5. to five. I'm going to react to that in a moment, but let me just finish off this with, with you, Buddha, real quick. The 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 Giannis-Aiton matchup would have been fun, right? If Giannis is – and I, I say would have been. It could still happen. Drew Holiday versus Chris Paul, that's fun. Even Middleton versus Booker. I think this is going to be a fantastic series, assuming Giannis can play. And it's Tuesday. You look at the schedule real quick – like, so game one's Tuesday. Game game two is on Thursday. Then you get three games off between games two and th- two and three. Then three games off between games three and four. So there's some potential here for the Bucks to get Giannis some extra rest if he can play and be good. I'm with you, man. It's a seven game series, and I love the matchup here. I love the matchup. I hope you're right, man. You know, I hope you're right. I mean, I, I don't want to see like a four, a four or five nah, game thing. I don't you think know, we're getting. Especially with all the players that got injured. You know what I mean? Especially with all the players that got injured. It's going to water the whole thing down in, in terms of history. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't think so. And I appreciate the call, Buddha. Appreciate you checking in. I, 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 I teased this earlier because uh, he had James in Spring Valley ask about the NBA Finals ratings. And by the way, before I get to that, so it looks like, Jacob, if you can help me here, figure out what's going on in this Yankee game. So Peralta hits it uh, to the wall. A fan reached over and uh, grabbed the ball, so they're ruling it, uh, I guess, a ground rule double. Okay, so it's being ruled a ground rule double for Peralta. The Mets now set up with runners on second and third. They're already up 7-5, and there's one out in the inning. So Peralta gets awarded a two-run double. Because it looks like a fan has reached over and interfered uh, with the ball in play. So, yes, that's going to be a, a ground rule two-run double for Peralta. The Mets are now up 7-5 on the Yankees and still threatening. And as I say that, a base hit here for Nimmo will bring home at least one. And that will be two runs for the Mets. So it ended up being essentially the grand slam that we thought it was going to be, right? Like the... Demo, a two-run single. He advances to second on the throw home. This is, to me, even worse than the Angels' loss. You had Garrett Cole start this game with a 4-1 lead. Araldis Chapman had a 5-4 lead in the ninth inning. 
and the Yankees are about to lose a home game to the Mets in the Subway Series, and then got to come back tonight and play another one. We talk a lot in sports about losing the locker room. Aaron Boone can sit there until he's blue in the face and say he believes the team can turn it around. Turn what around? We've seen nothing through 81 games that, they, that this team is good. They stink. They're bad. They are bad. This is a bad baseball team. They can't win with their best pitcher on the mound. They can't win with their closer in the game up four runs. They can't do The Mets are the worst offensive team in the league. And now Lindor gets a single. Nimmo coming home. 10-5 Mets. What a, dis- what a disgrace. I-, I can't do this anymore. Slam your bass. Yo. Are you ready to kick it? Here we go. Here we go. You know the vibes. July 4th weekend. Hope you guys are out enjoying, having fun as the world transitions back into its open phase. Escaping the, the, the walls of, of a pandemic. Ty Butler here until 6 o'clock. Little New Jack City guy on the program today. Love this song. Yo, bump that, Jacob. Come on, what you doing? Here we go. Woo! In case you didn't realize, I'm using this as a distraction from what just happened at Yankee Stadium. The Yankees just lost a game. They led 4-1. With Garrett Cole on the mound. Then 5-4 with Araldis Chapman on the mound. Two pitchers who since the implementation of the banned substances, the, the sticky stuff they call it, the sticky tack, has just been flat out bad. Coming into today, uh, since that memo was sent out on June 3rd, Cole pitched to a 4-6-5 ERA. Coming into today. Coming into today. So we go out there and, you know, he takes them out against Marcus Stroman and the Mets. Little stadium duel. Garrett Cole this afternoon. Dreadful. Dreadful. Three and a third innings pitch. Six hits, four earned runs, three walks. It's not the same pitcher. We know that he benefited greatly from whatever the substance is that these these pitchers had been using. We know that. Chapman, same deal with him. Another blown save. Didn't record (laughs) any outs today. Comes in. One hit, three earned runs, a walk, uh, the home run to Alonzo that tied the game. It's embarrassing, man. Like, you run out of, of ways to describe the season. But the, uh, I guess the best way to phrase it is over. It has to, what have we seen from the Yankees that would, that would tell us this team still has a run inside of it? Garrett, Garrett Cole today, his shortest start since September of 2016 with the Pirates. 
can we unban the, the the substances? Can we just let these pitchers use whatever they were using? Gary Cole and Chapman were better. So the Yankees now have lost the first two games of this Subway Series to the Mets. In about 90 minutes from now, we'll we'll play the, the second half of this doubleheader. They'll probably end up getting swept. So that'll be back-to-back weekends with sweeps. Last weekend got swept by the Red Sox. This weekend getting swept by the by the Mets. Rivals just taking it to you. Is that going to be enough to incite some level of change within the organization? I don't think so because we just heard Hal a couple of days ago say it's on the players. It's on the players. Like, yes, we the roster construction is on, you know, myself and Cashman and Boone's got to go out there and manage, but the players got to be better. And I would tend to agree with that. But at some point, you have to look yourself in the mirror and say, this isn't working. Like, are we going to just swap out all the players or do we have to make some change elsewhere? Because Aaron Boone's going to sit up there in his press conference and tell you things are going to turn around and, you know, we're mad and we're angry and, you know, this player showed some emotion, but the compete level was there. You you are getting your rear ends handed to you on a night-in-and-night-out basis. A team expected to not make the playoffs. A team expected to contend for a title. A team that now, what, 12 years removed from the World Series. Haven't been in a World Series since 2009. In the last eight years, the Red Sox have won two titles. The Yankees, the last eight years in that span, have won one division crown. It's not even close. Everyone else is surpassing you. The fact that we sit here today with a $200 million payroll as the New York Yankees and you're 500 on July 4th, 500. 500. Something's got to give, man. Something's got to give because this guy's Boone is going to he he's paid to be the lip service, right? He's not going to rip his players. He's going to tell you everything's okay. You know, we're struggling right now. We'll, we'll get it under control. It's not happening, guys. At some point, he's going to walk in a locker room and, and players are going to look at him and say, yo, we don't, like, we're not listening. We're not hearing you anymore. What is it that you can sit up there and say to us? Why do we have to con- constantly have players-only meetings? Those are not effective. Go out there and win. Go out there and play better and, and win. This is frustrated, man. And this is not me being a, a spoiled brat, a Yankee fan. You know, teams go through this. There are certain teams in sports that it just feels unprecedented to experience this level of struggle. Right? Like, the Lakers, you missed the playoffs four straight years. No, that's not something all teams go. You're the, you're the L.A. Lakers. You're not supposed to do that. The Boston Celtics. You haven't been to you haven't been you haven't won a title. You won one title in what the last thirty. You're the Boston Celtics. You're not supposed to have that on your resume. There are certain teams in sports where you're held to a higher standard, and the fan base shouldn't be, you know, smacked in the face with this idea of well, you're just a spoiled brat. No. There's a standard that comes with putting the pinstripes on, or there used to be one. 
And I'm, I haven't at, at any point this show in ripping the Yankees mentioned, you know, if, if George was still alive, because I, I don't have to go back that far. Yes, we all know that if George was still alive, Boone would would be gone yesterday, probably earlier in the season. Cashman would be gone. But I, I'm not even having to position myself to make that type of a, that that kind of argument. I'm just looking at the situation as it stands, and I said any legitimate leader. You look at this team; they're done. They're dead. And I don't even know that firing Boone and Cashman right now really solve anything. Because I don't, I don't think that there's anything that can happen that would lead the Yankees to turn the season around. I just don't see it happening. And this whole idea that, well, Boone can't be judged because you know he's just following the analytics. Uh, I'm sorry, I just saw the Red Sox last year lose Alex Cora. They finished 12 games under 500. Right now, they're 21 games over 500 with Cora returns. They're in first place ahead of the Yankees by 10 games. Don't tell me managers don't have impacts on the roster. It's not like the Red Sox were expected to be this juggernaut. The problem for Boone is we're always going to remember that the final game that Joe Girardi managed was Game 7 of an American League Championship Series against a team that was cheating. The Yankees, remember, overcoming that deficit against the Twins in the wildcard game, overcoming the 2-0 deficit to, to Cleveland, and then up 3-2 against Houston. That wasn't expected. That was a team that got the most out of, uh, the most out of itself. You squeezed every little bit of juice out of that team. They overachieved. And you juxtapose that with what's happening now under the leadership and tutelage of Aaron Boone. And then you wonder, wait, why did we let Joe Girardi go again? Because he was too tough on the players? Really? So a guy that had won a title with the team... A guy that every single year you felt great about him getting the most out of this roster. We let go of him because he was too tough on his players. We replaced him with a guy who you guys convinced us was the missing ingredient to a championship or a team threatening to win a championship. Here's the missing piece. And yeah, they won 100 games in back-to-back seasons. I won't sneeze at that. It's a lot of wins. But guys, they've won, what, two playoff series under Aaron Boone? Two playoff series. And they're about to miss the playoffs this year? The Yankees are about to miss the playoffs this year. <laughs> that that just feels hard to believe. If you're leaving the stadium and you want to holler at me about the game Call us up, 800-919-3776. I would love to hear from the Yankee fans. Hit me up on Twitter, at Tylee Butler, and Instagram, too. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that this is, like, even if you came into today with apex-level confidence, like, all right, I know what I've seen from the Yankees, but they've got too much talent in that locker room. Cashman's going to figure it out. They'll make some moves at the deadline. Even if you were the most optimistic Yankee fan, how do you watch what just unfolded the last three hours 
and still believe this team has a run in it. That was the most demoral. It was worse than Wednesday night. It was so demoralizing because you had Cole and Chapman, the two best pitchers on the team, just vomit all over themselves as if they had participated in the hot dog eating contest. It, oh, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. This is the Ty Butler Show on 98.7 ESPN.